What the fuckery is polyamory? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej August, your host. If you haven't listened to our first convo on polyamory, I invite you to do so before proceeding. You see, in episode one, Josie, who is in a polyamorous relationship, was our inaugural guest. As promised, her husband, Jerry, is joining us for part two, affording us a glimpse, a rare glimpse, into the male's perspective. If this is your first time with us, welcome. And here's what you can expect. What the Fuckery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Now, our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. Now, full disclosure, Jerry is a pseudonym we're using to protect this gentleman's identity. And for reasons he will hopefully reveal to us during the course of our conversation. Jerry, thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate being here. Yeah, my, Jerry will be my pseudonym. That way people don't know my name is Jim. <laughs> that's, that way they won't have any idea. I think that's, that that's great. That's very helpful. Yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah, absolutely. All it's right. It's important that people don't know that my name is Jim and I do stand up and that you can find me fairly easily. Yeah, uh, my, my wife worries about this kind of thing. I don't worry about this kind of thing too much. And, of course, joking, I won't tell you our last name and all that nonsense because she has concerns, and, and they're valid concerns. Uh, I just don't share those concerns anymore. Anymore. No. Interesting. No. Is it all the people, so all the people that I would care to know uh, how I live and, and how my life is and hope that they would accept me do, which is, I think, pretty fortunate. Um I know that some people don't, but also I, I can't imagine caring. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine caring about what other people think about that anymore. Is that something that happens with age, wisdom, or just, I don't get that spin your attitude? Well, assuming I ever acquire wisdom, maybe it comes with wisdom. <laughs> but I think it comes with recognizing that the people who really are very unaccepting tend to be people you wouldn't want to hang out with anyway, you know, generally. I remember years ago, uh, and I've had this on my mind to share with you because I find it to be an interesting story. I remember years ago reading in an advice column, uh, sex advice column, this woman was planning on divorcing her husband because she had caught him looking at porn. And it wasn't like he was looking at kids or something wildly deviant or evil he was looking at naked ladies and this woman was going to divorce her husband because of that and it occurred to me that well then she should then she should divorce him and she's probably right to if those two people agreed one of our promises is we don't do this because that's all it's really about any relationship is about keeping the promises you make to each other 
whatever those promises are. So let's say me and my wife agreed, neither one of us were going to bowl. Neither one of us were going to be bowlers. And then I start bowling. Well, well, she's right. And even if I'm from the outside, you're like, well, that's absurd. How well, does that was your agreement. Yeah. How does that hurt anybody? And then she explains, I just can't stand the shoes. Whatever the reason is, that's all anybody's reality is, is we make little promises to each other and we either keep those promises or we don't. And when we don't, we either renegotiate or we move on because there's certainly a thousand promises I've not kept. Right. You know, best of intentions, worst of execution, like anybody. But you make the choice. You're like, okay, well, yeah. No, well, okay, bowling, but you got to have your own shoes or whatever. Yeah, or, you compromise at that point, yeah. right? You take... Or we're not doing this. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you this, going back to the basics. If someone asks you, how do you define polyamory? Um, well, first I'd admit not well, but here's how I define it in our life. Um, so my wife and myself are allowed to see other people. And we're even allowed to care about other people, which that's not okay in some relationships. In some relationships that are open, you're really, you try to set a hard line in the sand of just like, okay, sex is okay, but feelings are not okay. So no emotional attachments. Yeah. But for us, that's not our rule. Our rule certainly isn't that we can't love other people. What we've recognized is that we're just very loving people and we can love other people not just physically, but emotionally, without compromising loving each other. So for us, it means there's room for lots of people in our lives and lots of kinds of relationships. Some of them are sexual, some of them are not. Um, and it can include just the fact that you give extra attention to, say, a friend friend, that in another relationship that would be problematic. My wife, you know, honest to goodness, I've known relationships that struggled because of just friendships. And, you know, that's how closed off some people can be. And that's okay if that's the way you want to live your life. But for us, it's more just there's a lot of open doors in our life. And some of them are open to the bedroom. And some of them are just open to being empathetic, sympathetic ears. That Look, my wife, I care about you very much. But right now I have to give this person attention. And, oh, good. Have fun doing that, Jerry. Um, yeah. <laughs> what you refer to as some people being closed off to something, some might argue that it's a human emotion called jealousy, labeled as jealousy. Sure. Uh, would you say that you are not a jealous person? Does that help a little bit? Uh, no, I would not. Con I would not honestly be able to say that I'm not jealous at all. Um, I think what it is is I. I guess I'm good at understanding that not everything is for me. And not all experiences are for me. Um, so my wife loves me very much. I know that she loves me. And I, li I love my wife very much. And we get along great. And we have a lot of fun together. And we have a lot of intimate times together. And we have a lot of solid conversations and laughs and all of those things. But there are experiences that I can't provide her that just have to do with the fact that I'm not all people. And there's uh, things she can't fulfill for me. And I think that that's true of every relationship. It's just that in a traditional monogamous relationship, I think what you say is you say, okay, there's things that I'm not going to get anymore. That's what you say. 
You don't say, ah, this person is definitely going to ring all my bells all the time. What you say is, well, I'm not going to have my bells rung all the time in different ways, but I accept that for the sake of monogamy. We've said, oh, I'd like to have the bells rung now and then, and I accept that I'm not always going to be the perfect fulfillment for you. And that includes emotional, that includes sexual sometimes, and that's a big pill to swallow for dudes, I think. The sexual part or the emotional part? The sexual part. The part where you're like, oh, I can't do it for you all the time. I'm not, I'm not just the perfect stud constantly. That's hard for some fellas to accept. But for me, that's not, it's not a problem because I understand that there's, that number one, there are bells that I've been allowed to ring. And I don't need to be in the room all the time when other people are ringing their bells. Right? Does that make sense? Good point. Yeah. I mean, it's a, great, it's a very clean way of putting it. Yeah, pretty good, right? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Actually, what I think is when you don't curse, it makes it more filthy. Oh, That's dear. what I think. I've always thought that. I think it's funny that way because if you talk about sex without using dirty words, sometimes I think it's actually filthier. How has this – do you consider it a lifestyle, first of all, or uh, a choice? It is a choice. So I don't uh, – unlike, say – if you're born gay, you're born gay. That's not a choice. If you're born bisexual, you're bisexual. If you live this way, that's a choice. And it may be predicated on some natural truth to where to the way you were born, like being born with less attachment maybe, but you choose to live that way. Like if you're bisexual, as an example, you can choose to be monogamous, right? So the choice is monogamy. The biology is bisexuality. Or the choice is we're going to have an open relationship because I'm bisexual. So the way we live in our case is a choice. In our case, it is. I, I don't know if that's the way it is for everybody, but for us, it was absolutely a choice. And it was an evolution because we started out in a very traditional monogamous relationship. Our, our marriage for the first mo over a decade would have been what you would have considered a very traditional setup. How long have you been married so far? Uh, 27, 24, 27 years, some, some amount of time. I hope this is not going to get you in trouble. Uh, not remotely. She understands that part of my brain is broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. At the risk of sounding redundant, would you clarify for us the difference between being in a polyamorous relationship versus being in an open marriage or open relationship? Okay, so if you're in an open relationship, uh, all that that really means is that you're open to multiple sexual partners um, outside of each other, right? But if you're in a polyamorous relationship, you're more open to multiple po potential relationships and partners. So for example, my wife has a lover, she has a uh, live-in lover who has become one of my best friends. It's funny because I suspect I spend more time with him than she does because we enjoy going to dinner together and, and he does and she doesn't enjoy the kinds of foods we eat because some of them she can't eat for dietary restrictions. So she makes up for dietary restrictions in food with unlimited restrictions in the bedroom, I suppose. But um, so we'll go out to eat and we have a very good time together and it's a very just eating food and talking about Star Wars and surprisingly nerdy stuff for living such a swinging lifestyle. Really a couple of dorks. That's the funny thing too, is if, if polyamory and open relationships in movies, everyone's cut. Everyone's in great shape. 
I am not. I am not. And luckily, that's somebody's favorite flavor. That's oh, the good news. Yeah. There's something for everybody. You know, some people like, you know, kind of a doughy, fat Irish guy. <laughs> is that like, how you describe yourself? Uh, Jim? Yeah. Or is it Jerry? We'll say Jerry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty doughy, I think. I'm not in great shape. I'm in all right shape. I have a farmer's body. Oh, okay. Which is I have a lot of upper body strength from having been a working man and a lot of, like, cake down below. Just... Because you don't walk enough. Oh, I walk plenty. I just don't eat anything that I should. Nothing That's green. A... Yeah, no. You're allergic to the green stuff. That's exactly You don't eat what food eats. That's right. There exactly. you go, yeah. <laughs> has your experiences since you've become, uh, since you've opened up your relationship to being specifically polyamorous, uh, how has that affected your comedy? Does that inform it a lot? It does. Absolutely. I have a lot of material that has come directly from that. Um, so one of my favorite jokes, I'll just share with you one of my favorite jokes is I say me and my wife are in an open relationship. And this is what I used to say. And I generally say open relationship because I don't want to explain polyamory. But I'll say we're in an open relationship. And uh, here's a little hint for you. If your wife or girlfriend ever says, hey, do you want to be in an open relationship? Say yes. You're already in one. You just didn't know it. Nobody brings that up at the last minute. If If somebody brings that up, a pipe has been laid. So that would be the joke there. The pipe has been laid. Yeah. Figuratively. Figuratively and quite literally. And yeah. Yeah. Whose idea was it? Um, So I would say for sure we could say that it was my wife's idea, but you could argue it was my idea. And I mean that decisions like that are more complicated than the joke itself. They're more complicated than two people sitting down because you wouldn't do that. You would never be in a monogamous relationship that you were like, oh, monogamy is great. And then just go, oh, you know, I heard about this other thing. You want to try this other thing? The other thing evolves naturally out of need, right? It doesn't happen because you made some decision. So I feel feel like it was a coming together of both of our decisions, some of which had to do with, um, you know, we tried to have kids and we – failed. <laughs> and uh, we managed to have dogs, though. Um, and the so, dogs are doing well. Oh, the dogs are amazing. Oh, great. Yeah, they're phenomenal. Uh, I think it evolves out of need. I think it evolves out of recognizing that a need you had not been getting met could get met a different way. And in the very beginning, what we did is my wife was fooling around and I was pretending not to know. And that was how we ran it in the very beginning. And what would happen is she was fooling around and then because either because she was turned on or because she felt guilty, we would come. Can I say naughty words? Of course. Okay. I mean, the title of this thing is fuckery, right? I know. I just want to make sure because here's – I just want to be very blunt. This is what would happen. She would go out and get some needs met and then we'd come home and just fuck like crazy. And it was fine with me because we were having more sex than we'd ever had. And so I was like, well, um, in the beginning, subconsciously, I was saying, well, whatever the reason for this, this is great because I'm getting my sexual needs met. But over time, it became kind of obvious to me that something was going on. And then eventually I thought, 
well, I, I need to confront this. And in the conversation where I said, hey, you know that something's going on, um, I was like, you know that it's okay as long as you just tell me. And I And she cried and was very surprised. I think she was very surprised in the beginning that my answer to the situation was, well, why don't we just deal with, because, you know, I know that you love me and you know that I love you, but something is necessary for you to feel better. And at that time, um, I don't think she had fully defined what it was that she was missing or what she was working through or maybe not working through, learning that this is how I would like to live better. You know, there are a whole, not that it's important, but there are whole tribes throughout history that have lived exactly like this. The fact of the matter is we happen to be in a puritanical society where this is crazy, Mm -hmm. but there, you know, there's been tribes that have been documented where when women wanted to get pregnant, they'd have sex with multiple men because the idea was before they knew the About cycles. And before they knew that it was one sperm and one egg, they thought that everything intermingled to make one child. And so, in a sense, multiple people were the parents of that child. And that child would get uh, parental tutelage from multiple people. And that's how those societies worked. Anything, so it really took a village. Yeah, it took a village of cocks. But, <laughs> I mean, honest to God, it's like anything is weird if it's not your thing. You know, like... People find Judaism weird when they first learn about it. But would you say, you guys are weirdos? No. No, you wouldn't. You'd say, oh, okay, you have this cultural truth. Islam, you have this cultural truth. Atheists, you have this cultural truth. You're assuming you're not brainwashed and you're a level-headed, thinking, rational human being. Right. Because plenty of people aren't, I assure you. Yeah, unfortunately. And we're really good at cognitive dissonance, which is a a terrible skill that we have. (laughs) So in the very beginning, what it was was me giving my wife permission to be a human being who had a set of needs. Plus, to be honest, in the very beginning, I was like, well, but then also it would be great if I could go fuck someone. That would be great if I had permission. Wait, you that little thought came to you? Uh, oh, I think it was right there the whole time. <laughs> that yeah. was the MO behind it. Yeah, that was at least a little bit of it is the there's the selfless part. Like I want you to be happy, but then there's also and I like me to be happy. And I like me to be happy roughly thirty to forty minutes at a time. We're really bragging there. It's probably not so much, but you know, I do my best. What are we referring to right now? Oh no. I know, don't say <laughs> it. But go on. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, in the beginning, there was that, was opening it up. And then in the beginning, it was just fooling around. It was just that. It was, we would say, we were just in an open relationship. We're allowed to go find other people to fool around with, play around with, whatever. And somewhere in there was this evolution where my wife recognized that, oh, you know what? That isn't really satisfying whatever it is I'm missing. And so what I'm probably missing is some of that emotional connection. And and then, of course, there is an ego problem. There is a part of me that it felt hurt in the sense that I'm like, so I can't even meet your emotional needs. But that's that's when you when you let go of the idea that someone else is property. That's not so hard to understand. How did you do that? That's exactly what I thought, what I think. I mean, our egos, mine, 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 you're my husband, you're my boyfriend, you're my whatever, right? Yeah. And you managed to release that attachment 
Well, I'll be honest. I think some of it is my own awful normal behavior. There's sometimes, so I think shame is useful. I think shame is a good thing hmm. when it's properly used. When it's improperly used is you're made to feel ashamed of your body or you're made to feel ashamed of the kind of sex you have or you're just made to feel ashamed of who you are. When it's right is when you recognize ways in which you've hurt other people and shame brings you to a point of not wanting to do that anymore. And I remember when we first opened up our relationship sort of along the way, there was this woman that I was hitting on uh, and it was partly the reason I was hitting on her is I knew that she was also in an open relationship. And she was not interested. And that was great. And there's many reasons to not be interested in me. I'm not that interested in me. Enough so with the self-deprecation. That's the job. Yeah. Anyway, but, but that's fine. You know, we like what we like. Um, and afterwards, I thought, man, I was hitting on her really hard. And, and I didn't do anything, for the record, didn't do anything inappropriate. I didn't touch. I didn't do anything, but I was very overt and I thought she she was uncomfortable. And it occurred to me, I was like, well, the reason she was uncomfortable was because I was objectifying her and I was completely approaching her from the standpoint of what I need, not who she was. Hmm. And I felt disgusted with myself in doing that. And then I just, all you have to do is then apply that logic to your wife and go, do I do that with her? And I was like, I think sometimes I do. I don't mean to, but you can objectify your wife. You can objectify your husband. You can objectify your friends. You can take a friend and go, well, they're my friends, so they better do this thing that I need. Or you can recognize that they're a human being with separate autonomous uh, needs and feelings and opinions and that they're not always going to... Behave the way you expect them to absolutely. behave. Absolutely. They're not always going to meet you where you want to meet them. And so maybe the better job would be to try to meet them where they met. And then... That, where they are. Yeah, where they are. Mm -hmm. And then that in turn led to, well, lots of fantastic, meeting lots of fantastic women. No, I shouldn't say lots, but enough. Enough. Yeah, enough who were interested in what I have to offer, who went, ah, doughy Irish guy, great. Doughy, you know, or this guy's funny, you know, the non-self-deprecating. This guy's funny and nice and fun and we, we like some of the same things and that worked out great. I remember I was doing stand-up at a bar <laughs> and, uh, I would just do, it was just a, a shithole, but I like those kind of bars. And it was just a place where I could do stand-up. And there was a bartender who I thought was very cute. And we would talk and we'd have drinks or whatever, but I never, she's the bartender. She's doing her job. And I try not to bother people when they're doing their job, so I don't want people to bother me. But one night, and I, I don't know why this had happened, but for the most part, I hadn't been doing any personal jokes at this particular bar because I was trying new material. But then one night, I just really wanted to kill. And that's the thing in stand-up, by the way. You try your new material, and then every now and then you're like, oh, I really should just do my old material so I can remind myself that people enjoy me. <laughs> so that it's good for your ego. So I, did, I went into some material about being in an open relationship. And after I and I had a great set, it was like, you know, eight or nine minutes. And afterwards, uh, she came up to me and she had bought me a drink and she said, um, oh, you're really funny tonight. Is that true? You're in an open relationship? Um, I was like, oh, yeah. She goes, oh, that's so great to hear. And then the rest of the night was fantastic. But yeah. It was. Wow. No, legit. She was just like, oh, because she, she knew I was married. So she kept a distance. Oh, and very then she good went, of her. Oh, yeah. She's a very nice person. Uh, very nice person, very sexually active, but with a sense of boundaries. And then she went, oh, well, okay then. So, yeah. That worked out. It did. It was a good night. 
Yeah. How does one talk to themselves honestly? Because it sounds like you're, well, maybe it's because you are in the business of expression, but how can one talk to themselves honestly enough to come to a place where they can be as forthright as you are? Right, right. Uh, that's a great question. The first thing is that I am fortunate that I do stand up because to be good at stand up, what I've discovered is a degree of honesty with oneself is absolutely critical. Even with silly jokes, you have to be sort of authentic. The very best comics that you've ever known were authentic to some degree or another. They were telling, if it's Jim Gaffigan, it's he really does like French fries. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it like, looks like he does. Exactly. And if it's, you know, any number of, if it's Chelsea Handler, she really loves to get drunk. And those things are and true. Late. And late. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, she's pretty great. I'd love to meet her and ask her a question. <laughs> um, no, um, but it. What for me, what it is, is you have to come to terms with really that it's okay if people don't like who you are. I guess that's part of it because I think that's the thing we're all afraid of. And, you know, my wife takes a pseudonym because, and for professional reasons too, but there's a sad part of taking a pseudonym. The sad part of taking a pseudonym is that you have any concern at all that people won't think you're okay or good enough. And to a degree, I feel like that's somewhat tragic. It's, I mean, the professional part I don't think is tragic. If you're just watching out for job opportunities and community situations, but if you're worried about a friend that might no, no longer want to be a friend, which I don't think she's worried about anymore, but I do know she used to struggle with that. She used to worry about her friends and what they would think. And luckily, I have more, you know, wretched friends, so I was never worried about that. They were, I'm like, well, they're going to find this funny. So, but um, I guess really you have to come to terms with it's okay what other people think. And the harder part is, I think sometimes you have to accept that you're not always going to like yourself. Because sometimes if you're really honest with yourself, you're going to come to the conclusion that you haven't been as good as you could have been. I don't think any one of us always is as good as we want to be, right? True honesty. I suppose, like, you'll leave here, I will have retrospective thoughts of questions I should have asked, which will make me think that I was not as good as I could have been. Well, let me ask you a question, though. Sure. Haven't you in your life, in your life, haven't you been quick to anger with someone where you shouldn't have been quick to anger? And in self-reflection, you're like, that wasn't the best version of me. No. And that happens on a daily basis driving the streets in L.A. Right. Everyone gets a finger from well, me. Well, those sorry. people have it coming. Yeah. They I'm talking about true. somebody who doesn't have it who coming. Who doesn't deserve it. Who in that moment, maybe you were mad at something else and it came out at them. Of right? course. Of course that's happened to you. Well, that moment when you have to come to terms with, oh, wow, I was less than the person I want to be. That's why being honest with yourself is hard. That's why it's hard. It's not hard because, you know, talking about sex, if you create a safe place to talk about it like we are here, we can do this all day long. But try to create a safe environment for someone to talk about whether or not they were always as good to their mother as they think they should have been or as good to a brother or a sister. I mean, that's for myself. That's what I know. Part of the reasons we're in an open relationship is that I can be very intellectual and there is sometimes an emotional distance that we have to get over. Of course. It's almost scientific. Yeah. Right? It's about being objective. The facts, the facts, the facts. Yeah. And it's very much in my blood to be two. this way, to be uh, 
intellectually pointed at things. And sometimes that's unpleasant. Sure. Right? Because there's an emotional distance that is maybe the very thing that someone needs from you. Right. Now, you mentioned jokingly that you're Irish. I am. Are you Irish Catholic as well by default, or were you raised? So I'll tell you why I ask after. But here's the thing: I think our family might have been Catholic. That's how little we talked about religion. Okay. But I myself am Jewish. I converted to Judaism. Oh wow! Yeah. Is it because of Josie, or oh. your own from studying and you? Oh God! You want to hear something hilarious? Please. Because you said, "Is it because of Josie?" And I forgot that that's the name my wife used. And I will tell you, did my wife tell you why she uses that name? We'd like to hear it from you again. Yes, she did. Because I was like, no, I didn't didn't convert for Josie. There was a young lady, one of the first women that I actually ever had a meaningful relationship with outside of my wife, as far as a polyamorous relationship, was this girl named Josie, who was great. She was so funny. And what happened? uh, uh, You grew apart. Yeah, well, no. What I would say is that had I been single and I could have married her, I think we probably would have. But I couldn't offer that. And at some point, she realized that she needed something else. She had fun while we were together, which was wonderful. But there was a moment at which it was like, well, I need something else. And I'm like, oh, that's a shame because I can't can't give you that. Mm -hmm. And then it was time to move on. And, and there is that kind of sorrow, but it's that's a very lovely sorrow that you have in this yeah. kind of relationship. It's actually quite nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, quite sure she's doing fine. Back to the conversion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I could relate it to polyamory and to our open relationship because my wife has absolutely nothing to do with me exploring Judaism because it was never about her. It was entirely about me trying to figure out who I am in the world. And we have room for each other to do things like that. So taking sex out of it, it's actually kind of a related philosophical um, approach to our relationship, which is, well, Jim is a spiritually curious person. You know, I went to church when I was, there's a true story. When I was five or six, I started going to church by myself, not with my family. I found a church for myself that I went to. My family didn't go to that church. And I told my mom, I'm going to start going to this church. And she went, okay, great. And then later, I was thinking about some of the stories, and I was thinking, you know, a lot of this just seems like nonsense to me. So I was like, Mom, I don't think I can go to that church anymore. And she went, okay. And she was that much involved in my religious curiosity. That's how curious I was as a kid. As a kid, I went to Sunday school. I was not made to go. My father, I think, was Catholic only because of one conversation where he was like, we should go to this church for Christmas uh, just because it was Christmas and he felt like he needed to be in a church. And uh, my my sister said, yeah, it's a Methodist church. He's like, oh, I'm not fucking going to a Methodist <laughs> church. Is there a Catholic church we could go to? And I was like, are we Catholic? So it doesn't seem like it, but maybe. So that always made me think maybe we're a Catholic. No, I, I'm sad to report he wanted to go because it's in and out. Is that what it is? Oh, masses at Catholic churches are that best. But how much better, by the way, would church be if you actually went to In-N-Out? <laughs> but right? uh, we should combine both. That's a solid joke. It is very solid. <laughs> Remember it. Um, so the reason why I ask, and it's so interesting because the Catholic, the faith, the Catholic faith and the Judaic 
uh, Christian. I mean, that's the lineage, right? Sure. They have this ability to raise their children with this little thing called guilt. Right. And so when you talk about what sounds like, I don't want to say moral compass, but when you talk about this, uh, when you were sharing the ability to be forthright and honest. Sure. A lot of it had to do with your ability of empathizing with someone else. Right. And some may label that as, oh, yeah, I felt guilty. I felt bad. Yeah. And incidentally, do you think that's something we are taught or is one naturally able to feel guilt that's or a, know what guilt is? So nature versus nurture, right? That's Correct. the question. Well. And I like how you just, as you said, pointed. You went straight for what I was saying with yeah. just three words, nature versus nurture. Right. I'll remember that. So babies are typically bastards, right? So babies are fairly selfish by design. So if I think about a baby, a baby is all about its needs, and it's not a smart creature. When we think about human babies versus, say, the babies of, like, the babies of a horse, for example. A horse, when it's born, starts immediately being a horse. It starts walking around and being a horse fairly quickly. We are a fairly underdeveloped um, an, uh, version of our animal species when we're born by design, right? We have a lot of software versus hardware. Like um, birds, some birds instinctively know how to build a nest, right? But they'll never make a better nest. They'll never improve upon that nest because they don't have the ability to improvise. We as human beings start out with a limited amount of skills but we're capable of learning, right? So depending upon what culture you were born in, you know, if you think, um, if you are f drawn to Islam, chances are you were born in an Islamic community. If you're born, if you're drawn to Christianity, chances are you were born in a Christian community, Buddhism and the same thing. So I think the answer is a lot of it is learned. A lot of it is learned and a lot of it is something we pass on because it has a value, value to a functioning society, I think. But I hope some of it's natural, but I don't know. That's a really good question. What do you think? Well, I've actually met someone who claimed that they don't get guilt. They've heard of it, but since they weren't taught guilt. It's a concept that is absolutely foreign to them. And I kept on going back. I'm like, do you ever feel bad when you've slighted someone, when you've knowingly hurt someone, when you've done something? It's like, well, I'm aware that what I did was wrong, but I'm not going to sit there and feel bad and beat myself over it. So two questions. One is, are they lying? I don't know, because it seems weird. Or are they a sociopath? I don't know. This person. Hey, listen. Based on my track record, he probably was a sociopath. Okay, yeah. I'm being facetious. For sure, but, <laughs> but that person yeah. was that a good. Was the person whoever we're talking about a good person? Would you say? I'd like to think I have decent judgment, and perhaps yeah. they started out as good. But you know what it is. I think I end up having these philosophical dissections and dissertations, and we go back and forth. And I just remember being completely stumped when this person said that. And I went around and asked people, and most people say, yeah, this this idea of guilt, it's something that we're taught, and it usually comes from certain faiths, yeah. you see. You know, now that I think about it, though, I think there is a certain amount of, first, that person might be a sociopath. Because yeah. I think 
if you look at somebody and they're suffering and you yourself have suffered and you don't naturally feel like I wouldn't want to do that to someone because half of the reason I don't want to hurt somebody is because I've hurt, right? Well, that's empathy. You're describing empathy. Right, but empathy leads right to guilt. True. Because if you're an empathetic person, if you've had your heart broken and then you break somebody's heart, how do you not feel bad because you're like, ah, I know what that's like. That sucks. I wish I hadn't done that. But there are people who may actually rejoice in the fact that they're they're vindicated. Do you see? Yes. There is that, and maybe that's what we would label a sociopath, but there are people who might actually enjoy the fact that now someone else gets to feel now you the get, pain well, I felt. Yes, absolutely. But isn't that just the flip side of guilt? Because isn't that just another version of, of well, that's certainly a version of self-loathing. There's certainly, instead of guilty, you're self-loathing. If you want to hurt somebody because you've been hurt, that's because you've decided you hate the whole system. I remember I, so one of the girls that I dated for a long time was this girl, Megan. And Megan and I had a very complicated relationship. And by the way, Megan doesn't need a pseudonym because there's a million Megans. Megans, thank goodness. Um, But Megan was a wonderful person. We had a very complicated emotional relationship that never became physical. Because I fell in love with her. And it was, there were so many problematic things. It was actually one of the most difficult relationships for my wife to cope with uh, and for myself. It was a complicated time to get through. And one of the things I remember her saying, um, we would come so close to having sex, it was so funny. But one of the things she said is towards the end was she goes, I'm just afraid of hurting you. And, and I, ultimately decided that that's a fucking cop-out because when I said this to her and I hope she took the lesson into her next relationship, which is, you're going to hurt me. Hurting me isn't the problem. We're all going to hurt each other. The problem is if you do it maliciously. Bingo. The simple act of interacting with another human being is conflicting. You can hurt somebody accidentally. I could have, within our conversation, said something that triggered a memory of yours of something that happened when you were a kid and that was by no malicious intent. Because you had no idea. But that is the risk you and I embarked on by having a conversation. And that's just having a conversation. You start entering into emotions and physicality and intimacy. You know, you know, you, you know when Josie and I would make love, it was beautiful, but it was also heartbreaking. But... It was also beautiful because it was heartbreaking, you know, that because there was only so far it could ever go and there was that thing. But I certainly wouldn't give it up. I wouldn't give up that memory. And I certainly hope that she would feel the same way, that this was the thing that informed me on my journey to where I am now. And I've had friends, just guy friends, that the friendship ended because we had some falling out and dudes I haven't talked to in years. And I'll sometimes be bummed because, wow, we don't talk anymore. But I don't think, I wish I'd never been their friend. I just think, well, that's just kind of how that went. Mm. So I think your friend's a sociopath. So well, it doesn't make sense. It's no longer in my life. Obviously, yeah. he's not well, a good sociopath. for you. Good but it's, you. it's very much like you said. It was someone that through conversation and yeah. conflict, as you can say, as you said, this came out. And See, my mom, I was, I couldn't believe it. I had the hardest time accepting that guilt is something that we are, in fact, taught. You know Just what? like empathy can be taught, you know. Yeah. 
But I've now concluded, thinking about what you've said. You're very smart, by the way. Thank you. Um, concluded by, based on what you've thought, you've said, that I think some degree of guilt must be wired into us. No, it is. It has to be, right? We'd like to think. I, I hope. I think it must be. And I think it must flow from the most natural thing. You know, if you look at wolves, wolves are a good example because their family unit is very similar to ours. You know, they, they function as a society very similarly to us. Chimps are better, too. but Or bonobos. They're great. Bonobos just fuck constantly. Um, they're the, they, they are the primate swingers, man. They just, they, and they don't care about gender. They, uh, they fuck for I'm glad apolog- you're bringing this back to what this conversation was yeah. about. They fuck for apology, by the way. Bonobos fuck for apology when they're like, oh, I'm sorry about what I did. And then they just go at it. Yeah, that's great. It's called makeup sex. That's right. With everybody. And then they groom each other, which is nice. We do more grooming in our society. They take care of my haircut. Um, but uh, wolves have a, a thing where if there's an uncooperative wolf who is causing trouble, the other wolves will nip at him and kick him the fuck out of the pack unless he does right. So other animals will do the exact same thing. They'll say, ah, no. We do not function this way. We don't function with you eating all the food. We don't function with you biting me. So since we don't function with you, us doing that, you either get the fuck out or, or you, you make stop it right. doing that. Yeah. So I do think it must be hardwired to some degree that we all understand, you know, mistakes can be made. Well, there, are, yeah, it's the idea of being contrite as well, recognizing when you've wronged someone yeah. and and making repairs somehow. Yeah. And I often wonder, were it not for my upbringing, would have I figured all that on my own? I'll never know. Right. I'm not sure. But then I've met so many uh, people, this word is thrown around a lot, but is in fact a true term, the narcissist. Yeah. Your classic narcissist is unable to see beyond their own purview. Yeah. So, yeah, that's someone I wonder if whether they were not taught guilt or they are that person who probably is not wired to put themselves in someone else's shoes. You know what? It might be, too, because I can't really learn languages. I would love to. Like, I learned my language. I remember In college, I took Japanese, which was my way of ensuring I got an F at least in one class. Because I thought, oh, I bet I could learn Japanese. And I was wrong. I tried very hard, but my brain wouldn't do it. And it's because I wasn't exposed to languages at a young age. So I don't have a lot of the uh, hardware, you know, and the neural pathways that we form that are much easier when you're young. So maybe it's the same thing. Maybe if you don't learn empathy at a young age, you know, it's the raw material is there, but the pathways aren't as, as refined or pliable. But in terms of languages, you really went hardcore. I mean, Japanese doesn't sound a thing like no, our it language. It, even the letters are different. You should have gone for something like as necessary as perhaps Spanish I, or even French, a little Italian. huh? I specifically picked Japanese because it is so different because I was like, let's do this. And I was about, I'm like sure, you, yeah. You went from zero to 60. Yeah. Okay. Now, I feel like at the risk of being salacious, I feel like being a bit of a dude right now. Sure. And asking you some questions that may not be as clean. Oh, bust. Let's do this. All right. So, you don't all share the same bed. No. Do you discuss the things you've done with other people 
intimately. In other words, do you break down all the positions you've shared with Josie? With Josie, I can, I've sometimes told her the finer details because she's wanted to. One time, Josie, because we have a camera to watch our dog and cat. And so one time she watched me have sex with someone because she was like, look, can you do I was like, that's fine. That's fine. So she watched me have sex. And then her review was, it was you didn't do enough things. <laughs> you were lukewarm. She gave you a review. Yeah. She rated you well, I'll tell you something, on a scale of one to five. I'll tell you something Josie said for real to me in this conversation where she had watched me have sex with this woman. She said, <laughs> she goes, ah, she didn't even suck your dick. <laughs> and she didn't because sometimes that's not on the menu. I love it when it's on the menu, but it doesn't have to be on the menu. And was that your response to Josie? Yeah, I was like, well, doesn't yeah. doesn't matter. It wasn't did. on the menu. She was like, I was like, she don't like that. And this is a great, and, and, and that would be tragic if I was only able to have sex with one woman and she did not like to do that. That would be a, a true tragedy. But that's fine if it's just this one lovely girl who we're spending some time with. It's fine. <laughs> so my wife sometimes has liked to hear the details, sometimes not. I more or less don't want to hear it. Or see it? Or have um, you seen? No, I have never watched her. I think I might enjoy it, but I don't. She's been pretty clear that she doesn't want me to watch her. So I'm sure I'd enjoy it. I can't imagine that I wouldn't enjoy it to some degree. But um, I'll relate it back to stand-up. <laughs> Please. When I go and watch another stand-up comic... Because uh, I like stand-up comedy a lot. But invariably, if I go see a show, and I don't care who it is. Let's say it's Jim Gaffigan or any number of other people you might want to see. And I'm seeing them in a professional setting. I'll have the best time. But invariably, the thought occurs to me, man, they're doing great. But I kind of wish I was on stage right now. Man, I really... Ah. And I'll have that feeling. And it'll take me out of the stand-up because I'll think... I'd rather be upstairs, up there telling my jokes. Mm. So I have a feeling I'd think the same thing. I'm like, ah, yeah, they're doing some great fucking there. But, ah, man. Only, I, yeah, if I, only it was me up there. I kind of like to get up there. I like the the up there is such a weird use of that. But, that's but you know, you get in there, you get yeah, up there, you, get and, up there. you know, to each its own. You get in it, yeah. Get in it, on it, over it, under it. Well, well, well. <laughs> oh, so... The husband's perspective. So you've let in this other lover. Yeah. For Josie. Right. And you are both our friends. You and he are. He's a phenomenal person. Yeah. Okay. You've never felt any pang of jealousy or... How did that evolve, by the I way? I don't Whose know. idea was it to... Of course it was hers. Come on. Let's be real. Oh, you didn't, you didn't say, hey, I think you need to do this. No. Or, or, yeah. Well, let's say let's that see. it was my idea only in the sense that it was okay if it happened, right? So it's my idea in the sense that there's permission for it to happen, but I didn't never go out and look for suitors for her. I was never like going, hey, you know who would be great? There's never anything like that because, first of all, I'd be wrong. I wouldn't pick out the right guy. You'd anyway. probably pick someone who looks like you probably, I probably right? would. Yeah. Just like, I that don't makes wanna, sense. I want to have sex with a younger you. 
Incidentally, do your women tend to look like your like Josie, like your wife? By the way, because they say people tend to have the type and they recycle the same type. Sometimes, yeah. So either they look uh, an awful lot like my wife. If in retrospect, I go, oh, or nothing like. So it's one of the one of the two. Like there's this lovely redhead woman that I see fairly regularly, and it's a perfect relationship because she likes to have sex and leave. It's flawless. She because she she really literally wants me for only one thing, which I find bizarre. I find bizarre only because I'm. Are like, you a little hurt by that? No, no, I'm <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted because I'm like, oh sweet, okay cool, because I've never had that before. It's always like, ah, oh, he's charming, he's funny, and yeah, he's his dick game's all right, and it's always like that. But like, she's just in it for the dick game, and I'm like, sweet, okay, this is perfect. But she looks nothing like my wife because she's, you know, she's tall and redheaded, and, you know, Nordic. Just different. Yeah, just different. But most of, most of the women that I've been close to have uh, certainly had a body type similar to my wife and often a disposition similar to my wife. I'm honestly like a good sort of uh, mean sense of humor and just kind of like will put you down in the right way sometimes, like call you out on your shit kind of stuff. Which I like. I appreciate right. that in a woman. And that's needed. Yeah. In uh, a partnership, for sure. Tell you a horrific story. There's a horrific story. My first girlfriend in high school was a girl named Cheryl. This is before my wife. And uh, was lovely, whatever. First person I ever had sex with. And I'm sure it wasn't good, but it was fine. It got it off the table. It's fine. And I hadn't seen her in 25 years. Because, you know, I moved away, she moved on, she got married, had kids, and whatever. And I was doing a stand-up show in my hometown, and I invited all these people to come to the show. And a lot of people showed up. It was a neat show. So I hadn't, been, I hadn't done a show in my hometown. And I looked out in the audience, and I could see that a lot of people were there. And there was a, at one table, I saw that my sister was there. And I was, like, so happy to see my sister because I, I was, like, afraid my sister wasn't going to be able to make it. Um, and remember, this is club lighting. It's very dark, but it was nice. I could see my sister. And afterwards, I went over to the table, and I realized, oh, that's not my sister. Oh, my God. That's my first girlfriend. Oh, my God. She looks exactly like my mother or sister. Oh, my God. Oh, I need to go see a therapist. Oh, no. <laughs> like, identical. Could have been my sister enough that from the stage, I didn't say, oh, that's the first girl I fucked. I, I said, oh, that's my sister. I'm nice. Aww. And then the rest of the night, I was just like, oh, I need to hide under the covers. Just process this. <laughs> I need a shower. <laughs> I just need to process this ugliness. <laughs> but that's who we are. Well, Jim Jerry... I have to say, I feel like I can go on and on and on. We can have wonderful conversations for uh, what can be ours. Absolutely. But we and if might... I rest, we can have a second one. <laughs> but, you know, we have to wrap this up. I thank you so much for being so charming, fun, delightful. Thank and, you so much. Uh, you're welcome. And for everyone else, this is part two. Remember to listen to part one first, if you can. If not, I'm sure you'll... You'll catch up or catch up. Subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe, rate, review. Bye.